0: Section 24 of *Stupermundi*: Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick II by Lionel Allshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12, The Captured Council, Part 2. We mourn over you, wrote Gregory to the captives. Joseph is not, Simeon is kept in chains, and little Benjamin is taken away. We do not forget you, but we think of remedies for your woes. The Pope, however, could find no remedies. The three cardinals, the English and Italian prelates, and the Lombard envoys remained in prison until Gregory's death and some while afterwards. The French clergy, more fortunate, were released at the urgent representations of King Louis, who bade Frederick remember the long friendship of the House of Capet and the House of Hohenstaufen and his own refusal to countenance the Pope's effort to raise up a rival emperor in Frederick's stead. The Pope's darling project had been ruined by the bold stroke of his enemy. The great calamity had been preceded by the fall of Faenza in April. It was followed by other disasters, Hot on the heels of the news of the capture of his council came tidings of a defeat in Lombardy. The loyalists of Pavia had given battle to the legate Montelengo and the Milanese, had utterly defeated the papal partisans, captured 350 knights, and the banner of the keys and of Milan. Gregory had lost a large store of gold in the defeat of the Genoese fleet. Now another treasure, wrung as usual from the English clergy, was captured by Frederick's agents on its way through Italy. In June, messengers arrived with the news that the Emperor himself had left Faenza and was marching to Rome at the head of his army. Gregory might view with alarm the increasing triumph of the Emperor. He might talk of peace in his letters to other princes, but before his virulent hatred of Frederick, his prudence went down. He could bring himself to make no reasonable advances could listen to none that were made to him. Frederick marched through Spoleto, received the homage of the capital of that province, ravaged the lands of the cities, who still held out for the Pope. He entered the Campagna and halted at Tivoli, almost within sight of Rome, while his new ally Colonna captured Palestrina with his help. A last effort was made for peace. Richard of Cornwall, the emperor's brother-in-law, returning from the Crusades, landed in Sicily and made his way northwards to Frederick's camp, where he received an affectionate welcome. He was then sent to Rome as a messenger of peace. The emperor entrusted him with the fullest discretionary powers, promised to abide by whatever terms the earl should make, and gave him a letter with the imperial seal as a formal ratification of the treaty that he might arrange. It was a sincere effort on Frederick's part to put an end to the struggle." The Earl, who had been welcomed in Sicily as one who had striven in the cause of Christendom, found that at Rome the service of the Pope was the only title to respect. The fact that he had toiled in Palestine was of no account. That he was a friend of the Emperor was a claim to distrust. He was received by the Roman mob with insult and indignity, by the Pope with scant courtesy. All his proposals were scorned, the complete and abject submission of the emperor was the only condition of peace that the inexorable old man would consider. Richard returned to the imperial camp with any respect he might have had for the saintliness of Gregory entirely dispelled. I am glad, said Frederick, that you have learned by experience the truth of what we have before told you. Frederick moved from Tivoli, ravaged the territory around Rome and stormed and burnt many castles. Nothing, however, could quell the spirit of the dauntless pontiff. Permit not yourselves to be cast down, ye faithful, he wrote to the Lombards, by the unfavorable appearances of the present moment. Be neither depressed by calamity nor elated by prosperity. The bark of St. Peter is for a time tossed by tempests and dashed against breakers, but it soon emerges unexpectedly from the foaming billows and sails in uninjured majesty over the glassy surface. The bark of St. Peter did indeed weather the storm as it had weathered fiercer storms before, but it bore a new pilot at its helm. Gregory's spirit might be unconquerable, but his flesh was vulnerable. He was very old. According to Matthew Paris, he was approaching his hundredth year. He had been wont to seek refuge from the unhealthy Roman summer in his palace of Anagni, to soothe his aged limbs in the baths of Viterbo. But the emperor's army surrounded Rome, and he could not leave the city. The chagrin of failure preyed upon his enfeebled frame, and the loss of Monteforte seemed to be the culmination of his sorrows. This castle had been built by him with monies that had been contributed by the faithful for the Crusades it was fortified with especial care and designed as a place of refuge for Gregory and his kindred in the event of a rising at Rome. In August, it fell before Frederick's army and its inmates, among whom were some nephews and relatives of Gregory, were hanged. One tower of its walls was alone left standing as a memorial of the emperor's revenge. The blow completed the work of years and a vexation of spirit, and the old man took to his bed. Unable to endure the grief he felt, but which he himself had caused, he went the way of all flesh on August 22nd to receive his reward from the judge on high, according to his deserts. Frederick imparted the news to the monarchs of Christendom in words which at any rate were not unjust, and avoided the indecent exaltation with which a later pope welcomed his own death. The Pope Gregory IX, is taken away from the world, and has escaped the vengeance of the emperor, of whom he was the implacable enemy. He is dead through whom peace was banished from the earth, and discord prospered. For his death, though by him so deeply injured and implacably persecuted, we feel compassion—that compassion had been more profound, if he had lived, to establish peace between the empire and the papacy. God, we trust, will raise up a pope of more pacific temper, whom we are prepared to defend as a devout son, if he follow not the fatal crime and animosity of his predecessor. Christendom might at last hope to see an end of the strife which had disturbed her tranquillity. The passionate personality of Gregory had been removed from the scene. The emperor had shown himself ready to welcome any terms of peace which were consistent with honour. In the hour of his victory, he proved the sincerity of his frequent avowal that his quarrel was not with the church, but with her unworthy head, and throughout all Germany and Italy the imperial proclamation threatened with a terrible death all who should presume upon the widowed state of the church. The cardinals were allowed to assemble at Rome without molestation to transact their solemn function of electing a new pope. Frederick withdrew into his kingdom for a short while to enjoy a restful sojourn at his palace of Foggia. He was visited there by a private grief. His empress, Isabella of England, died in childbirth on the first of December. Her excelling beauty and manners had won his affection, and we may believe that the marriage was a happy one, if the empress had sufficient philosophy to ignore his oriental proclivities. She left two children, the younger Henry and a daughter. The election of a successor to Gregory was hindered by dissensions among the cardinals. Of the ten who were gathered at Rome, four were for Romano, the Bishop of Porto, and six for Cardinal Geoffrey Castiglione of Milan. The former candidate was in bad odor with Frederick for three reasons. He had been conspicuous for his enmity to him during Gregory's life, He had been a cruel oppressor of the University of Paris, and there was the ugly stain on his reputation of a supposed seduction of Queen Blanche of France. A two-thirds majority, however, was necessary for a valid election, and the members of the conclave who favored Geoffrey turned to the emperor in their dilemma and besought him to release the two cardinals, whom he still held in captivity. These were Otto, the English legate, and James, the bishop of Palestrina. James was no sooner brought into the emperor's presence than he hurled forth an excommunication against him. But both were allowed to go to Rome on condition that they should return to their prison after the election. The cardinals, who now numbered twelve, were placed under strict confinement by the Roman senator in order to hasten their election. The heat was intense, their allowance of food scanty in the extreme, and Robert de Summercote and Romano, one of the candidates, fell ill and died. This simplified matters, and on October sixteenth, 1241, Geoffrey of Milan was elected pope. He adopted the name of Celestine IV, and bore it only seventeen days. He died before the ceremony of consecration could take place. The cardinals, aghast at the prospect of another election with all its attendant discomfort, fled from Rome and dispersed into central Italy. The confusion at Rome seemed to reproduce itself over all the empire. In northern Italy, the war which had slumbered a while became suddenly more acute. Germany relapsed into disorder. Her nobles were ever a turbulent race and could not be controlled by a boy king and his guardians. Only the emperor could quell them, and he had been absent too long. The increased activity of the Lombard rebels called down upon them a captain whose prowess they had never yet experienced. Enzo, the king of Sardinia, had proved his mettle as a leader in the Anconitan march in Romagna and on the sea. He was now sent into Lombardy at the head of a strong force and confounded the rebels by his extraordinary activity. He dashed from end to end of the province storming, burning, and ravaging, and the mere rumor of his approach made the enemy scurry into the shelter of their walled cities. But even he could make little permanent impression on a foe who resolutely refused to risk a battle in the open with so formidable a general. This Enzo was the best beloved of all the children of Frederick whom he resembled in many ways. Handsome, brave, and courtly, a poet in his moments of leisure who earned the admiration even of his enemies. A valiant man, and bold and stout-hearted, is the dictum of the friar Salimbene, doughty in arms, and a man of solace when he would, and a maker of songs, and in war he was wont to expose himself most boldly to perils. His soldiers worshipped him with a passionate devotion, and his gallant bearing awoke the heart and passions of many a noble maiden of Italy. Meanwhile, Christendom was for nearly two years without a pope. At the beginning of 1242 most of the cardinals assembled at Rome, but month after month dragged by in futile dissensions. The emperor urged and threatened in vain. Your mother is dying, he said, while you are pulling different ways. He released the cardinals Otto and James, who had returned to their captivity after the election of Celestine in the hope of hastening a decision. It was believed and asserted by many who were ignorant of the truth of the affair writes the English chronicler, that the emperor himself was the chief hindrance to the welfare of the church and was the cause of the apostolic chair remaining empty. The king of France, after bidding the conclave to hasten in their business and to have no fear of the emperor, threatened to set up a French pope on his own authority by virtue of an old charter which tradition said had been given to Saint-Denis by Saint-Clement. The Ghibellines were loud in their abuse of the dilatory cardinals. Sons of Ephraim, who turn back in the day of battle, sons of Belial, sheep of scattering, animals without heads, hated of the world, it is not Jesus Christ himself, the mediator, who is in the midst of you, but Satan divided against himself, the father of lies. Each one of you is eager for the chair, so none is elected, and the church is brought to confusion. THE THUNDERS OF PETER AND PAUL ARE SILENT, AND YOU ARE DUMB DOGS. TAKE SHAME UPON YOURSELVES, THE LOWEST CREATURES ARE WISER THAN YOU. BIRDS HAVE A LEADER, BEES HAVE A QUEEN. RACHEL HAS NO HUSBAND, HER LITTLE ONES CRY OUT FOR BREAD, AND THERE IS NO ONE TO GIVE IT TO THEM. YOU SEE NOT HOW NIGH YOU ARE TO SHIPWRECK. PUT ON YOUR SENSES AND YOUR REASON ONCE MORE THAT YOU MAY RECOVER YOUR HEAD. The year 1243 dawned, and still the conclave wrangled and delayed. Frederick resolved to try sterner measures to bring them to reason. He gathered a great army of ten thousand knights, ravaged the lands around Rome, and seized the estates of the cardinals, which he gave over to his soldiers to pillage as they would. The cardinals had fled from Rome at his approach, but the destruction wrought to their lands and castles brought them to their senses. They entreated the emperor to withdraw into his kingdom for a while and promised to lose no more time in filling the vacant chair of St. Peter. Frederick retired to Foggia, and the conclave assembled at Anagni. On June 24th, their choice fell upon the cardinal sinibald Fiesco of Genoa, who assumed the title of Innocent IV. End of section 24.